Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This time, I'm talking to you from Warsaw, Poland, because... Um, well, I've been spending a few days here giving an education to some Polish journalism students about, you know, war correspondence. That, well, ate up a bit more time than um, an effort than I had believed in the, in the beginning. But still, well, I guess that's the thing I should do if, um, if in the future, well, if and when and something bad happens to me so that there's a generation of younger kids who are up to the task and everything. But, um, yeah, although the front lines and the whole war situation have been quite quiet, and I'm sorry for any echoes here recording this in a hotel room and this is not the best place of, of recording so stuff, but um, but although the front lines have been quite quiet, again, <laughs> but um, recently there's been a lot of missile attacks and there's been a lot of um, tactical fighting. Not much has moved, but there have been attempts from both sides since yesterday both the Russians reported that they have stopped the Ukrainian advance, and Ukrainians reported that they have stopped the Russian advance. There's an active firefighting with um, a lot of bloodshed happening. There's a lot of reports about how the mobilized on the Russian side have also been dying in the conflict, and we have some news about prisoners of war. And this war just uh, looks like it's going to get bloodier throughout the day. Meanwhile, there have been some interesting events. First of all, the Russian-appointed authorities of the Kherson region called on residents of the city of Kherson to leave immediately and relocate to the left, that is, eastern bank of the Dnipro River, quote, because of the tense situation at the front, the increased danger of massive strikes in the city, and the threat of terrorist attacks. Yeah, besides this, the Russian side have been actively publishing and pushing for the idea that Kherson will be lost immediately, but, um, well... Knowing my luck, that's going to happen when I'm, when I'm going to be away from the microphone. However, I'd be careful with such statements. They have been going through all over the Russian pro-war side, the whole Z-sphere. And uh, yeah, by the way, out of that end, Girkin himself finally is now, as he claims, leading a battalion and asking for lots of donations on his, on his Telegram page. 
So, sadly, his analysis will not be happening here for a while. But, um, hey, there's a massive bounty on his head by the Ukrainian side. So, if anyone knows where exactly he is, he's worth, I think, about $50,000 at this point. So, that's at least interesting. But about Kherson, yes, massive amounts of uh, panic happening there. People are not even hiding this. And uh, post on the Regional Administration's Telegram channel stated, quote, Kherson civilians and all divisions and ministries of the civil administration must cross to the left bank today. We won't force anyone. We won't drag any. Uh, we won't drag anyone anywhere. There is a group of waiters. They're waiting for the Ukrainian armed forces. But I think the only thing awaiting them is UAF shells. That's posted by Kirill Stremousov, deputy head of the administration of the annexed Kherson region. On October 18th, Vladimir Saldo, the head of the annexed region, announced an organized relocation to the Dnipro's left bank for residents of four municipalities. Kherson was not on, the list of, uh, not, not on that list of municipalities, but the next day, residents of the city received text messages urging them to leave. They were obviously promised housing certificates on moving to Russia. And uh, remember those housing certificates, that's going to come into account later. According to Seldo, Russian-appointed Kherson authorities plan to relocate around 50 to 60,000 people to the left bank and to other regions of Russia. Stremusov has said that 25,000 people had already been transported from the right to the left bank of the Dnipro as of October 21st. And uh, furthermore, on October 20th, the Russian Defense Ministry reported a Ukrainian Armed Forces offensive in Kherson and the Donbass. Not long before, the new commander of the invasion of Ukraine, Sergei Surovikin, stated that, quote, the situation is not straightforward in the Kherson region, and that he couldn't rule out, quote, making difficult decisions there. Which means, you know, the general Armageddon is probably going to drop a few more bombs. And furthermore, on October 21st, the Ukrainian army reported that the Russian troops had started to retreat from the western part of the Kherson region. According to Ukrainian authorities and the American Institute for the Study of War, which actually have to give some praise to, they've been more, way more accurate and way more careful with their statements lately, Russia may blow up the dam at the Khakhovka hydropower station to cover the retreat and prevent Ukrainians from chasing Russian troops deep into the Kherson region. Now, that's the thing, the Khakhovka dam, that is more important than nukes. That probably wouldn't get as much attention as any nuclear blasts, of course. However... However, that would be an ecological and civilian humanitarian catastrophe on a grandiose scale. That's the real act of terrorism that Russia could pull off, that the NATO countries should warn Russia against, since that would cause massive flooding and loss of human life. That dam would instantly flood over insane amounts of areas and uh, would cause devastation on a, on a grand scale. However, well, let's get back to these, um, well... Real estate certificates or something. Because, oh boy, during this war, owning real estate in Russia, turns out, isn't that secure, as one would think. For starters, well, seems to me, like I posted on Twitter, that plane crashes are, are the new open windows out of which someone should crash. Since, well, earlier today, an Su-30 multi-role fighter jet crashed into a two-story home in Irkutsk. The plane landed on the wooden part of a home at 2 Sovietsky Lane. And um, Irkutsk governor Igor Kobzev wrote this on his Telegram channel, quote, It's a private 100 square meter, around 1,000 square feet, home for two families. The Su-30 crashed during a test flight. 
the Ministry of Emergency Situations stated. Both pilots were killed, but, quote, among locals, no one was hurt. The Ministry of Emergency Situations specified that no one was at the home during the time of the crash. We have a ridiculous, awesome, spectacular short video about this on Twitter, so if you want to, you can follow us at, at Eastern underscore border. The plane crashed during an acceptance flight, said Russia United Aircraft Corporation. It lost communications and crashed into the Novolenino district of Irkutsk. According to emergency services, the crash started the fire with an area of 200 square meters, which was extinguished by 2.20 p.m. Moscow time. According to the investigative committee, the aircraft belonged to an aviation company and was performing a test without ammunition. A criminal case obviously has been opened with charges of violating safety and air transport rules. And, um... As a side note, more than over 150 homes in Irkutsk were left without electricity after the crash. Now, in normal situations, you know, in in the front, bloody fighting is going on, but not much is moving, although Russian side seems to be preparing for something, but we'll get that later on. Um, See, this this crash landing of a fighter jet in Irkutsk is, at this point, the fourth similar incident in, um, in two weeks. The corruption and the lack of spare parts and everything like that, I think that's uh, finally getting its toll done. On October 17th, as I reported previously, a Su-34 crashed in Yeysk, in the Krasnodar region, hitting a nine-story building and killing 15 people in total. On October the 9th, in two different parts of the Rostov region, a Su-24 and a Su-25 crashed. And, uh, yeah, the crew ejected from the Su-24, and the pilot of the Su-25 died. So, you know, things are not looking good for those fighter pilots, because two weeks, four crashes, that's a bit much. Meanwhile, at the same time, on October the 19th, Vladimir Putin signed a decree officially imposing martial law in the four Ukrainian territories that Russia annexed in late September. In Russia proper, the president imposed measures that amount to kind of a martial law light. Immediately after Putin's martial law announcement, the Kremlin sent out a guide for covering the new measures to the country's pro- pro-government and other, you know, propaganda outlets. This is just crazy because a copy of this was, again, obviously leaked. You know, and um, this isn't as colorful as the last times Satanists and devil worshippers and kids being, being killed and all that stuff. But um, still, propaganda instructions are always fun on this channel. The document begins with one key instruction, quote, It is vital to reassure the audience, nothing significant has changed. As a a proof of this claim, propagandists are told to remind audiences that martial law has technically only been declared in four territories, referring to the annexed Ukrainian regions, and that in all four of them, martial law was either imposed before incorporation into Russia, as Putin has claimed in his speech, or was de facto in effect already. As for the restrictions in Russia's other regions, the guide recommends characterizing them in a way to protect critically important infrastructure. Overall, the Putin administration <clears throat> recommends, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, open windows, crashing planes, that pro-Kremlin media draw parallels be- between the imposition of the martial law and Russia's experience fighting COVID-19. In both cases, they state, Russia's governors were granted additional powers, and in both cases, Prime Minister Mikhail Mishustin and Moscow Mayor Sergei Subyanin were in charge of coordination at the federal level. A spin guide also recommends stressing the fact that officials will now be involved in industrial mobilization, orienting the economy to work on military tasks and measures to support mobilized soldiers and their families. Elsewhere in the document, the authors note that this economic mobilization will be accompanied by the cutting of red tape, but, uh, you know, we kind of 
no one really buys that. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Seriously. The guide reiterates, quote, The authorities are drawing on the experience of the fight against the coronavirus when everything was changing fast. Now, obviously, uh, this whole thing... This whole thing basically is a train wreck, since if you know anything about the COVID epidemic in Russia, as I had reported again previously, Russia had one of the highest COVID-19 mortality rates in the world, both in absolute terms, where about 1.2 million deaths happened from it, and per capita, it was more than 800 deaths per 100,000 people. And, you know, that's a lot of dead people. So, it's kind of interesting how Putin's government and their own propaganda are trying to portray this supposedly successful but actually a pretty huge failure event to compare it with another thing where they failed massively and talking about massive failures and uh you know how rush operates because people people tend to forget and still think it's a normal country i don't know why but um uh, you know this one was recently happening on air with the rush's get on two drones which they call geraniums Everyone knows at this point that they are none other than repainted Iranian Shahid-136 drones, which are now actively used by the Russian military in attacking Ukrainian infrastructure, especially, you know, their energy thing. Still, both Moscow and Tehran are stubbornly, you know, keeping silent about this arms dealing and denying everything, because Moscow is trying to deny everything as per their kind of, <laughs> kind of rulebook. But uh, there was an expert in Russian TV. I, I say was because, you know, his career is pretty much over at this point. Ruslan Puhov, and he recently came up on Russian television. He is a pro-Kremlin Russian military expert, and he appeared on a live What Does This Mean? RBK TV show on October the 19th. Minutes before his appearance, the hosts, Bogdana Prehodna and Yuri Tamansev, mentioned that the West is accusing Iran of supplying Russia with Shahid-136 and Mojahir drones. Puhov then came on stage, greeted the hosts, and without realizing that the mics were on, instructed them not to lean too much on the Iranian topic. Quote, Let's not rock the boat too much. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you, don't. These Iranian things are like just a classic joke. There's an asshole, but no word for it. We all know they're Iranian, but the government won't admit it. And uh, then the hosts interrupted Puchov, signaling that they were on the air. And uh, obviously, no one brought up the Iranian drones for the rest of Puchov's live TV appearance. He noted instead that Russia must import weapons given the current combat situation. This is pretty much available, and this is pretty much crazy, because this episode was cut from air and everything is weird, but uh, yeah, these blunders happen. Because, well, 
not like their government, which is failing in anything else and everything else and what, you know, any reasonable thing is uh, succeeding at hiding in their own propaganda. Which is what I always find funny since in these days when I was sick and then busy in, in Warsaw, I noticed quite a lot of people without my interactions on Twitter, which had been, you know, dying down a bit since I've been really busy in life, but getting back now. Yeah, more and more people are just, again, posting stuff about how, uh, obviously, you know, the United States and the Western media are lying to you all the time and how Russian media tells the truth. Well, I congratulate them, because at this one specific occasion, that was as a massive failure on the Russian side, hey, some truth actually was being told in Russian media. That's, um, you know, not really something you would expect from them. But to finish this one up, because I'm... I'm kind of seriously thinking that in the sooner sooner rather than later, because there's about a six-week time limit until everything happens. Basically, the front is going to have a lot of lot of interesting things going on there. I hope that they don't happen while I, you know, fly a plane or something. But um, what is this place about this? What what is happening? And what measures are in place with this martial law? And where? Well, then here's a short kind of thing in the annexed territories. In Ukraine's Donetsk, Luhansk, Kherson, and Zaporozhye regions, which Russia annexed, Putin declared martial law. In Ru- in, under Russian federal law, this gives, the, this gives the authorities the power to, quote, 1. Ban citizens from leaving the region and restrict freedom of movement in any form. For example, by imposing a curfew. The government can also prohibit people from entering the region. 2. Temporarily resettle local residents of safe areas. Which is uh, what they're supposedly trying to do now, although that's... I think they're exaggerating numbers, obviously. Then they can ban any public events. They can evacuate objects of economic, social, and cultural significance. This uh, this basically means that they can loot. Confiscate property such as cars and force people to work for defense needs. And alter the work schedule of any business, in other words, making people work more. So now they can force people to do labor and loot everything to to like even more than they had done before. This is quite um quite now crazy going on here. Seeing that you know in any normal government such as the Ukrainian one, since I was I was there in Ukraine when the martial law over there was in effect, there were curfews and other stuff like that. But um with the, all of the marauding happening around these parts, you can truly expect that uh, looting is going to happen. Additionally, Russian federal federal law gives the Russian government the power to detain citizens of a foreign country that's at war with Russia without providing a specific reason. But um, because Russia has not officially declared war against against Ukraine, this shouldn't be in effect, but it most likely will. Russian police will now be able to inspect people, search for their homes and cars, and detain anybody for up to 30 days. Russian government's executive branch will, ha- will now have the legal power to impose military censorship and create agencies to monitor people's letters, internet communication, and phone conversations, basically legalizing the thing that they've been doing for all this time. Foreign organizations can be banned from operating in Russia if the authorities receive, quote, credible information, end quote, that they are working to undermine Russia's defense and security. This also applies to political parties, pu- public organizations, and religious groups, whether they're Russian or foreign. And finally, the authorities can ban alcohol sales. See, now, I'm reading you this because in any normal country, this would read like... This would read like some sort of regular thing that happens in wartime. But reminder, imagine every possible way how these laws could 
could be corrupted and how people who are on the spot, on the ground, could use them for their own personal material gain and understand that that is not likely, but definitely happening right now. And with the moving of people, I am um, also under the impression that even if nothing happens in Kherson, moving all those people who live there on the other side of the river, possibly with not their belongings, leaving their belongings intact in their apartments is a nice way how to then organize a mass raid, and how a lot of valuables could potentially be stolen. Call me paranoid, but uh, hey, I've seen this war quite a lot this year, and in general, so... Uh, I expect so much looting happening. Yeah, that's it for today. We're going to have more episodes coming very soon. I'll be back from Warsaw. The students were really nice here, and uh, I hope to go back here on a, some sort of a tourist trip at some point, because, hey, I really enjoy Warsaw. And uh, remember, happiness is mandatory. And of course, das Vidanie, Tavarish. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.